Uh, traditionally, in, a, in, the, in the education environment, it was a one-size-fits-all modality. We provided a certain environment and then you had to fit into that. And so if you had any diverse learning need, be it a, a learning disability or English mightn't have been your first language or, or whatever it was, um, you had to kind of try to fit into that model. Well, what's happened now with educational technology is that we don't, we don't no longer have to just provide one size for everybody. And it's actually most powerful when the students have control of the technology, so they actually have some agency about this. Technology is revolutionising every aspect of our society, of our world. Education will be as transformed by technology as everything else, not only because of the inventions coming into the classroom, but also because of the students we need to send out. Many of the jobs we once trained for can now be done better and faster by machines. There are even AI teachers. So what do we prepare our students for? And how will tech help us get there? Today, preparing the next generation for a tech world. A digitised education world makes it possible to, to provide multiple ways that students can access content. This is Greg O'Connor. He's the Asia-Pacific manager of edtech company TextHelp. He describes a learning environment we're probably all familiar with. Essentially what we do in schools and what we do in post-school environments is that we deliver content by the teacher talking at the student, writing stuff on a whiteboard, or predominantly we get them to read text. This static model, almost universal in Australian classrooms, tries to fit too many round pegs in one square hole. Students simply aren't as uniform as our education system treats them. With technology, the way students access information and the way their knowledge is assessed can be personalised. This is the true tech revolution in education. I mean, let's uh, talk about assessment. So I'd rather tell you what I know than, than write it down. Or I'd rather tell you what I know via a video. Or, or I, need, I need to write it down, but I need some other tools to help me write it down. So that might be use my voice to type rather than use a keyboard. So in a digital world, what we can do is provide different ways that that content can be digested or can be accessed by the, by the students. So, you know, um, I, might, um, I might be a struggling reader. So there's technology that will actually will read the content back to me. So I need to have access to that. While some of us might balk at the idea of technology taking over our reading, Greg says it's about recognising different ways of absorbing information. But this, this technology is going to help you get where you have to get because we're doing history. It's not about your ability to read and write. It's about what you need to know about that history subject. Currently, all I'm doing is, is finding that I'm defining what you know about history by your ability to only read and write. Mm. A student opens up a textbook, a printed textbook, and goes, oh, I can't read that page. Well, they can grab their smartphone, take a photo of that page in a matter of minutes, have that, have that page taken from a photograph, converted into text, have it read back to them, and then start to dive into what was done. They, they're actually doing that on the spot. They don't wait for someone else to go and digitise it for them or to scan it for them or to read it for them. So it, it actually has lots of benefits for systems that kind of... It helps with productivity, it helps with 
teachers getting on with the business of teaching and not worrying about stuff that technology can do for them. While students are busy accessing course information in novel ways, ways that are actually suited to their preferred method of learning, there's another more subtle but no less influential revolution going on in the background. Traditionally, an assessment occurs when, with pen and paper. And that's like a one-off event. And, and it's kind of um, like a single event, like a dot point of data that you've, you've, you've got back. I mean, I'm not even talking about how you did the assessment and the, the subjective way you may have done that, but just you've got this data point that is of no... It actually is kind of quite blunt, whereas... If a student's using EdTech and they're engaged in the learning process and in the background you're gathering data all the time, you're getting multiple data points that you can reflect on and see, see what the student's you know, giving you feedback, you feedback, but also the student feedback. So I think it's more about the teacher being part of the process, using the data to inform their instruction. It's giving them insights about where to next. Data. It's really the key to the whole technological revolution, the new gold, they say. And there's a goldmine of data hidden in everything a student does. It can provide a constant source of feedback, guiding the learning and the teaching of the student. Greg compares it to the feedback from that more traditional pen and paper assessment. The problem with feedback's always been it's been after the event and, like, you know, you remember handing in your assessment and the teacher would take it away and you might get it back the next day if you're lucky or the day after and you got back as a number and it might have been A plus and you know Danny you could try harder didn't really give you much information whereas if you're getting constant formative feedback then that's where it's really powerful and and really not relying on this one one data point you're, you're actually getting constant feedback so every time they write they'll They'll, um, they can see how, how often they've written. You know, so what happens when you're using a keyboard, using data, you get, you get information back. You can see how long did I, did I write for? You know, what, what, what will my bursts of writing be? How long did I write and how long did I stop? Um, how, how much time did I, did I use on, with, a, with um, a, spell, a spell checker? How much time did I use with a grammar checker? Did I, when I proofread my work back, um, did I hear my errors? So you're kind of getting all this information that, that you're getting back in real time. While it may be uncomfortable to admit sometimes, our constant connection to technology creates a constant stream of information. And while some very public scandals have rightly invited our concern, in our hands, this data can be empowering. That's where we think that the, the important difference is it's about this idea of agency, so it's around the, the student having, the, having agency and control in this process. And it's not around the number that compares what I'm doing with other students necessarily. It's about the number that I'm using myself to, to see where I'm going and to set targets and to, to see my own progress and getting that, getting that feedback when and however I want. And, in, you know, I mean, like, it's like, um, say, looking at reading, it's like the analytics kind of almost shows you your reading diet. You know, you think about it, you know, if you're getting analytics, not only it's telling you, it can tell you how often you read, what kind of text you're reading, you know, what's the vocabulary maturity of the text you're reading. Um, um, it just gives you all this, in, it kind of feeding into what, giving you data back about those kind of things which are really important. 
It's not just the students who can utilise their data. It's teachers as well. Teachers can be incredibly time poor, as we all know. Comprehensive curricula can leave them with no time to invest in students who are struggling, and marking can be a mountainous burden. Data can help teachers be more efficient. The teacher can send the students home with homework. If they're using this adaptive platform, the teacher can see what, where were the problems with the students who all had difficulties, right? And just focus on that the next morning um, in a much more targeted, focused way. There's no point going over the questions everyone got right. We've got precious time here. Let's focus on the stuff that clearly I didn't teach very well enough or people are just struggling with for whatever reason. This is Simon Buckingham-Shum. And I'm Professor of Learning Informatics at the University of Technology, Sydney. Simon says the level of data that can now be picked up is not limited to students' engagement online or with a device. Because we can now actually sense what people are doing in a physical room by instrumenting that space. So, you know, we're, we're doing work at the moment which is looking at teamwork, but face-to-face teamwork, which is, you know, still a very important thing, um, even though everybody's you know, very excited about the potential of online collaboration. But face-to-face teamwork is a really important skill that students need to build. And um, we've been working closely with our health faculty, for example. So we can track what goes on when a team of students uh, engage in a, a simulated recovery of a, of a, a mannequin patient on a, in a simulation ward. And we can show after they finish doing that exercise who was standing where, when, who was talking more to whom? Uh, did they administer medication quickly enough? Um, uh, when when the patient complained about uh, about a change in their symptoms, you know, did the appropriate thing happen? So these kinds of things used to be only visible to a trained expert who would be observing them, but you know those clinical experts are uh, a scarce resource, and it's hard for them to track five or six teams of students who are all working. In parallel, so this is a role for technology to help paint the picture of what went on in a quite a complex kind of learning. But perhaps the most exciting and daunting thing of all is that data and AI aren't just helping teachers become more efficient. AI is itself becoming the teacher. There's there's a whole array of different systems when we talk about these kinds of technologies. One class of system is is called an adaptive learning system or an intelligent tutor. And it's like having your own personal expert sitting next to you 24-7, never gets bored, never gets tired, is infinitely patient. And that coach will continually check your understanding. And if you're struggling with something, it will maybe back out a bit, give you an easier example. If If you're flying through, it's going to say, okay, need to stretch you a bit here. Let's try something harder. And... This is possible because, you know, the designers of the system have understood in great detail, you know, what does it mean to master geometry or the the rudiments of grammar or, you know, uh, there are quite clearly right and wrong answers usually in these systems. And that's where AI is doing a nice job. You know, it, it knows the right way to do something. It knows the kinds of misconceptions and problems you can have. And the, the evidence is that students can learn more effectively than taught in the traditional way. There is a very large scale study in the States with some schools showed that students were learning a lot more and a lot more quickly than, um, than students taught um, in traditional way. So, robots teaching students. Does that feel uncomfortable? Too cold perhaps? <laughs>
When it comes to dedicating time to a large number of students, teachers could be grateful for the help. There's another tool that uh, that is being used in various institutions now, which sends every student a personalised feedback email. It's a coaching email every week. Now, now no, no human is going to send a personalised email to, say, 1,000 students every week, feeding back to them how they're going and the things that they should focus on for the coming week. And, 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 and it's written like somebody wrote the email or the letter, but it's actually been put together by a machine. We're giving them personalised feedback based on whether they struggled or excelled with the activities that week, whether they failed to show up to the practical for the third time, you know, whether they, uh, it looks like they've looked at any of the resources that are due for an assignment in three weeks, you know, have you done this or not? So we're coaching the students on developing better learning strategies, you know, better ways of regulating and planning themselves and their lives. So these are examples where the technology is not displacing the human, it's doing things that no human can practically do. AI engages with students constantly. It can use their data to customise their learning experience and teach them in a way that is perfectly suited to their needs, even knowing when the student needs to be challenged. If I'm not reading at grade level, then, then often what happens is that students given material that's at their reading level. So when you do that... When you give the student only material at their reading level, you're giving them access to only vocab at that reading level as well. Um, Like you're almost dumbing down the curriculum. So so an AI could say, did you realise, Danny, that you've only been reading, you know, you need to go to another level up and to read, you know, you're missing out on some of the vocab here. There's another web page you might want to go to the next level. So there are websites now, for instance, that will curate content for kids. There are websites that will that will curate news articles that are found online. And when you go there, it, it will actually give you that web article in whatever Lexile, it's a reading level, Lexile level you're currently reading it. So, you know, so you can actually, the, so the content's retained, but just the vocab you need to get there has been reduced. And so you can read it. And then once you've done that, you can be pushed to go to the next Lexile level up. Mm-hmm. So AI can actually help you, help the teacher, you know, kind of, kind of make those decision points about when it's time to move on to the next level. As I said, I didn't really understand how exactly a computer would go about doing this. Um, So uh, there was a little bit of intrigue and curiosity initially. We are also expected to write about our feelings. So um, I basically did not really say anything along the line. So I was initially nervous or I didn't really say I was happy. So it basically gave me specific feedback as to this is what you're missing. It also told me that this is covered. Just just, just to talk about that for a second. How did it feel to talk about your emotions Mm -hmm. to Um, an AI marker? Um, It felt a little weird to be honest. I don't know how exactly. I can't label it as such the the feeling which I experienced. Mm -hmm. But then um, it was a little unsettling to be honest. So my sentences tend to be long. Yeah, it basically did say uh, suggest that I could consider uh, cutting down my sentences as well, so that it's easier for the reader to assimilate whatever has been written. Did, so, it, did you take on that? Yeah, yeah. advice. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, yeah, I knew I was doing that. I didn't really realize that it was wrong for me to be doing that. So uh, that was helpful feedback as well. Simply put, AI is more efficient than human teachers at instructing students in rote tasks. 
teachers just don't have the time to give each student the personalised learning that an AI can provide. Learn a semester's worth of work in half the time. At least as well as, if not better, than students taught in a traditional way. So that's that's exciting. Um, and and that has that is essentially um, changing the teacher's role. Their, their role is no longer to try and teach the rudiments of some of these skills because a machine can do it well. Maybe some of you are picturing a beloved teacher from your past replaced by a soulless cyborg. But Simon says there are qualities of human teachers that AI is light years from being able to replicate. Now, when a, a kid comes into school looking like there's clearly something not right, you know, emotionally, personally, no AI is going to pick up on that. We, that's, we need teachers who are going to pick up on that and, you know, check in with that kid and ask them, what, how's it going? What's going on? They will have a rich knowledge about that child's, you know, family situation, for example. Okay. Um, when, when we talk about more complex, open-ended learning, learning that involves ethics, learning that involves uh, feelings, um, learning that involves... Uh, you know, the more complex kinds of human capabilities, which machines are very bad at tracking. Right? We need humans. AI is freeing teachers from the more rudimentary aspects of their profession at precisely the right time. It's stating the obvious, but the education system only serves to prepare students for the outside world. And the fact is that that world will be radically different from the one most of us are familiar with. As machines become more and more sophisticated, they'll be able to perform more and more complex tasks. The question becomes, which human qualities will become valuable in an automated world? If I had an amazing product that was guaranteed to raise NAPLAN and ATAR results, is that the product that we should be rushing out to invest in and buy? Or do we need analytics and edtech and AI that's going to build those competencies that um, everybody seems to be agreeing are badly needed. You know, your ability to collaborate, your ability to reflect deeply on a complex situation, your ability to, to think critically, uh, your curiosity. You know, we, want, we need curious people who are going to ask awkward questions because the way the world's going, you know, the status quo is not doing such a great job. Young people want to make a difference. Good organisations want those young people and graduates in their organisations. The need to cultivate this kind of student is an urgent one. We are well into the fourth industrial revolution. And education technology, as with all technology, has the power to catapult us into that revolution or entrench inequalities. There are serious access and equity issues here that, we're, that, that are being exposed. Talking about digital education and the like is often much easier said than done, uh, but it's the access and equity issues here that are being am amplified. Angelo Gabrielatos is the president of the New South Wales Teachers Federation. He says there are basic education technology needs not being well, internet. met. Internet access. The assumption that all kids have got internet access is just not uh, is just not true uh, of, of many places. Many places across the state uh, in, uh, do not have the kind of access that uh, some may be familiar with. The system is being challenged severely uh, for all people across the state, let alone in those remote areas. We're speaking over the phone because coronavirus has taken hold. 
most of us are confined to our homes. A huge part of the national debate around lockdowns is whether schools should remain open. But online learning from home isn't an option for everyone. Well, that's correct. And in fact, there are many places in Sydney where the connections are not very good either. Uh, we have a major problem that's being identified now, and uh, it illustrates a, a lack of uh, a failure on the part of policymakers over recent years in terms of increasing access and in increasing speed when it comes to these, um, uh, the, the use of uh, modern technologies. Um, serious challenges. You know, even uh, teachers who are, are working from home are experiencing serious challenges with trying to download and upload things, let alone the fact that they're using their own personal data. All of us have suddenly been thrust into extenuating circumstances, but some are better equipped than others to cope. Well, we've got massive uh, issues of inequality being exposed inequality between systems and within systems. These are things that we've been raising repeatedly over the years as we've had government policies fuel and exacerbate um, inequity. Well, now they're coming home to roost. The utopian Silicon Valley story is that technology will always, you know, narrow the gap and, uh, and, and, and empower the disempowered. Uh, the reality seems to be that it can equally do exactly the opposite. Um, and um, some of us are starting to think about what, you know, an AI divide might look like Was it if it was to open up, um, whereby um, the most sophisticated AI is accessible to, to uh, the well-to-do cohorts and it's used expertly by very well-trained teachers. Um, and and um, the less affluent are left with the cheaper technology. They're spending forever in front of screens they're not engaging in socially rich, authentic kinds of learning, um, but they've been given a lowest denominator, um, cheap solution. And um, that's, that's the dark side, and we have to be constantly aware of that. The kinds of technologies that get me most excited are the ones that um, help help people um, engage in in higher order thinking. What we really need to do is upskill humans to be able to think ethically and think critically and think reflectively. We have to respond to the challenges that we see society facing and when we look at what's going on politically and culturally right now we have to think what's the role of education in, in, in inoculating people against the kinds of reactions that we're seeing. And for sure, education has a role there. Um, and for sure, educational technology, therefore, has a role. Thanks for listening to All Things Equal, a collaboration between the Centre for Social Justice and Inclusion at the University of Technology, Sydney, and 2SER 107.3. The podcast is produced by Dan Butler. Thanks to supervising producer Sharon Davis and Amelia Navasquez for sound design support. 2SER sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, country that was never ceded. 
If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe or maybe give us a review so other people can find us. I'm Verity Firth. Till next time.